0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Morning, New Covenant. Anybody nerdy enough to admit they like history? I love studying history. So I was uh, reading up on the British people of the 16th century, and they kind of looked in at the upper aristocrats and thought, wow, I want that kind of life. I mean, the money that they have, the way that King Henry VIII would throw these lavish parties, but then to find out that if you were a part of that inner circle with King Henry VIII, your lifespan might have been quite short. He had six wives, um, two of which he had beheaded because he thought they might have been a threat, his power. Two, he had cast on the streets. And two, they don't know what happened to them. They just kind of disappeared. He even had his famous confidant Thomas Cromwell beheaded because he thought that maybe he was trying to usurp his power. And then it didn't get any better after he died. His staunch um, Catholic daughter Mary came in. She took over. And for the five years that she reigned, she had about 300 Protestant pastors and preachers killed simply for preaching something that went against. The Catholic Church. You guys may have heard of her. She goes by the name Bloody Mary. You all remember that title? That was that was her. So while these British rulers they looked pretty brutal, they were actually nothing compared to the guy that we've been studying so far by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar in the first couple chapters. So he was notorious for killing thousands of people. Those that defied him, disagreed with him, just simply annoyed him. He would have them quartered, he'd have them beheaded, he'd have them speared. He'd have them boiled, he'd have them fried in furnaces. Those are just a few of the ways that he had thousands of people killed. And yet that was the fate that awaited three young men by the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for going against a decree that he had set. I'm going to give you more of the background in just a moment. Let's go ahead and read the passage together. If you would, again, just in honor of the Lord and his word, would you mind standing with me? Uh, as we read these 18 verses, and it's fairly longer passage this morning. Really, I wanted to do all of Daniel 3, but there's no way that we would make it um, in one morning. So starting in Daniel 3, beginning in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth six cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, "'harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music "'to fall down and worship the image that I have made, "'well and good. "'But if you do not worship, "'you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. "'And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands?' "'Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "'O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. "'If this be so, our God, whom we serve, "'is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, "'and he will deliver us out of your hand. "'But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Gang, you can have a seat, thanks. It's interesting that in this portion of Daniel, this is the only time we ever hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speak. It's the only words that they speak in all of Scripture. And what a lesson we have to be learned from these three young men. It's Simply this, when everybody else bows in fear, I'm praying that as believers, we would stand in faith because we know who reigns and we know who rules over everything and everyone. There is no king, president, emperor, whatever that can override what God Almighty already has in place, already has in mind. Now, this isn't blind faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a deep conviction in who God was because they knew God's word. They were probably in prayer constantly. They probably knew what the Old Testament prophets before them had written and had studied it constantly. They knew by looking around at the world that God had made that he was the creator of the universe and that no one could thwart his plans. Now, we're on chapter 3. This is a popular passage, you all have probably heard it before, you've read it before, it's been taught in Sunday school classes, everybody likes this story because these guys get rescued from the burning fiery furnace and so we tell it a lot. The problem is it's become so familiar that we might miss the context of the passage, we might miss something that God really wants to teach us this morning. Let me just give you by way of analogy, did you know that most car accidents happen within five miles of home? that part i do know i don't know why i didn't look into the study to find out why but i'm going to just do a little bit of speculation one i think we let our guard down we just get familiar with the area the other reason is because that's where we're at the most we have to keep coming back to home so we get within 5 miles of home most often and that's why the accident happens well the same thing can happen with god's word we can misappropriate it we can misinterpret it if we don't actually study I know, that's like a bad word nowadays, right? If we don't actually study, explore, do a little bit of a deep dive into the Word of God. So I want to take you a little bit deeper into Daniel chapter 3. As you know, I mentioned last week, we are reading in what is called story time. They are living in what is called real time. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his buddies get drug away to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in about 605 BC. They're about 14 years old. By the time you get to Daniel chapter 2, three years have passed. Their three-year education is done. We're at about 602 B.C. That last week was the story or the real-life event of Nebuchadnezzar having this dream about the statue that's been set up. Daniel tells him about the dream. He gives the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar seems to be coming around, almost like he's about to worship the true God of the universe. And then all of a sudden, we get to chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar setting up this big old image of gold. Well, what happened? Well, 20 years have passed because we now know studying biblical history that chapter three happened in about 582 BC, which means that Daniel has now gone from being 17 to about 37 at this point. In those two decades, it seems like Neb has stewed over this whole vision and he's not happy with the fact that the entire image gets destroyed by the rock that's been cut out from the mountain and that includes the gold head. So what does Neb do? let's set up this massive statue, and by the way, it's all gold. There's nobody else coming after me. I am the one reigning, and I am the one ruling. So Neb decided, I'm going to set this up, and I'm going to do it for a couple of reasons. One, again, I think he was bothered by the fact that the head of gold in his kingdom would be destroyed. So he's going to try to thwart that plan. Remember what I mentioned earlier, nobody can thwart God's plans. But his thought is, well, I'm going to thwart that that plan. I'm going to make this entire statue out of gold. It's going to be my kingdom. Secondly, I think there's another reason he did it. Babylon was growing like crazy. They're winning all these battles, and every time they win a battle, they take prisoners of war and they make them a part of their kingdom. They become servants to Nebuchadnezzar and his prefects and others that are ruling underneath him. So being the fact that this empire is growing rapidly, people are also bringing in their different gods, and they have all this different worship. And Neb says enough is enough, I'm going to unite the entire kingdom underneath one form of worship, which by the way, tell me you don't see this pointing forward to what we see in the book of Revelation, where that spirit of Babylon or Babylon kind of rises back up again, and there's going to be the worship of one God, everybody's going to get unified. Well, who is that one God? Well, we don't know for sure who the Antichrist is going to have us worship, it'll be him. Um, But what type of religion is that going to be like? We don't know for sure. We do know that Neb is going to try to rally everybody around worshiping him. Now that begs the question, what is the statue that he erected of? Was it of him? Scholars have debate over this. My take is that this statue that he erects is actually a statue to him. The Hebrew word that's used for the word image refers to a statue that's in human form. I couldn't see Nebuchadnezzar raising raising up a statue that's dedicated to anybody else other than himself just based off his ego. He wants everybody to worship him. Now let's pause for just a moment and realize that every push from society and culture, whether it be about a religion or an ideology, is all about worship. People are trying to to garner and gather our worship of them. And if you refuse to worship the things of society, whether it be a false religion or whether it be an ideology, Or some type of political push. If you refuse to gather in with that worship, threats will come from society. It may not be a burning, fiery furnace. It may be heavy taxation. We're moving in a direction right now where just so we're clear the direction that the world is going, we're moving towards a one-world currency, just like the Bible predicted. With that one-world currency, there are government powers and officials that are going to be able to track everything you spend every dollar on. It's already happening in other parts of the world, and then you will be ranked based off what you spend your money on in what's called a social score. Now, they determine what raises your social score and what drops it. I will tell you right now that as a follower of Jesus, if you donate to things like a church or a charitable organization that lifts up Christ, your social score would plummet. No, we're not there yet, but that's the direction that we're moving in so that the enemy can get control over people. Remember, you have a real-life enemy that knows theologically he's lost you. The moment you trust Christ, you are saved. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. There is not a single verse, and I know I'm going to get on some theological thorny ground here, but there's not a single verse in Scripture that ever says you could lose your salvation. Once Christ has called you into his family, you are saved based off what he has done, not based off what you do. And that's good news. That means that we don't have to run around tiptoeing and living in fear. Now, we'll talk about this later when we talk about baptism because we're going to have a few folks getting baptized. That doesn't give us an excuse to go live like hellions because that means that we don't truly understand who Christ is and what it cost him in order for us to follow him. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they understood what it was going to cost the coming Messiah. They understood what God was going to give up in order to save them, and because of that, they refused to bow in the face of imminent danger when their lives were on the line. I'm not going to read it again because it's too long, but in verses 1 through 12, we get our first of two things that we're going to learn this morning when it comes to how to stand in times of testing. The first thing that we saw in those first 12 verses is that these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not bow because they had a dedicated devotion to God. Now, Neb, he had set up this... Huge statue. It was 60 cubits tall. How big is a cubit? It's about 18 inches, which means that it was 90 feet or nine stories tall, but it was only six cubits wide. So it was enormously tall, but it was absurdly thin. It would have looked like a rocket that was jutting up into the sky off the plains of Dura, which was just a few miles south of Babylon. So everybody would have seen that thing reflecting in the Babylonian sun. Now, there's no doubt that this statue of gold absolutely related to Nebuchadnezzar when he saw that head of gold in Daniel chapter 2. Now, all the leaders of every empire that were shown in that statue were brought crumbling down. And that bothered Neb. So he's thinking, I'm going to have this massive worship service. I'm going to get everybody to come worship me. How many people would have gathered that day? Well, we think it would have been probably a little over 100,000 people. So between all of the different bands that came, all the different satraps, the prefects, and all the people that were underneath them, probably would have been well over 100,000 people. Imagine that many people gathered around this statue and bowing down, and three refused. They didn't scream. They didn't shout. They weren't holding up signs. Just imagine, everybody else bows down and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know silence is awkward, isn't it, in our society? But think about it. And when it went silent, everybody would have just stared at those three, just standing there. How in the world did they do it? They had already decided years earlier, my devotion is completely and totally to God. I kneel for one and one only, and nobody else will I ever kneel to. Now, because of this, there were three accusations that were brought against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at verse 12. If you go back to verse 12, it says, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here are the three accusations. Number one, these minnow king pay no attention to you. In other words, they have no respect for the person that's in charge. Not true. Secondly, they do not serve your gods. That is true. And thirdly, they won't bow down to the golden image that you've set up. Also true. Let's start with the first two. There are certain things that society has called people to that we are called to celebrate, that we are called to applaud, that we are called to be a part of, and if you don't celebrate and you don't applaud, then you hate people. Listen, a couple of those things are true. We won't celebrate and we will not applaud evil, no matter what. That does not mean that we hate people. Quite the opposite. If it is anything that is going to lead people away from Jesus, if it's anything that's going to go against God's word, that will hurt them. And anything that hurts people is not something that we can applaud and approve of. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all four of them knew that bowing down to a false god was going to hurt people. And they refused to do it. Neb gives this really ominous statement in verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I'm so glad Neb asked that question because it gave them a chance to answer. Remember, years earlier, decades earlier, they had studied the Word of God and they knew it well, and this is why they would not bow. Now, this might seem weird to you as well in church, but you, you're going to talk back, not like a bratty little kid. You're going you're to respond back. Are you ready? So, here comes your test. Exodus chapter 20, Moses gives the Ten Commandments that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been well acquainted with. What's the very first commandment that was written as far as the Ten Commandments? There's 613, I know, but out of the ten, what's the first one that was given? Well, we're divided. Glad we know our scriptures you shall have no other gods before me. He's not talking chronologically. He's not saying that as long as you put me first, then you can have other gods. When he says before, he's saying in my presence. There will never be any other god in my presence. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were well acquainted with that very first commandment, and they would not allow any other god in the presence of God Almighty, which was anywhere they went. Okay, it's gonna get a little harder. Second commandment is? No engraven images, no idols whatsoever. And what did Nebuchadnezzar just set up? An engraven image. They knew the word of God and they knew it well. They also knew the promise that they were going to be delivered, not necessarily physically. Because remember, we know the end of the story. They don't. For all they know, we're done. Life is over. I had about three and a half decades. I made it to about 37. Those are the years God was going to give me. They had no idea they were going to be rescued. In fact, they probably thought they were going to be killed because that's what they had seen in the past. However, they knew God so well that this is the second thing I want us to walk away with. They wouldn't bend due to their conviction in God. That word conviction comes from convinced. Let me ask you, how convinced are you that this book actually is the Word of God and not just written by man? I wanna encourage you, and and false religion cults will never tell you to do this. If you're not fully convinced, go study this book. Put it to the test. Put it to a biographical test. Put it to a truth test. Put it to an archeological test. Put it to a scriptural inerrancy test. Read it through and through from front to back and see if you can find a single error, mistake, or contradiction. I'm not boasting, I'm boasting in the word of God. And that's what Paul said we're supposed to do. Boast in Jesus, boast in the word of God. I'm nothing, you're nothing, we're all on an equal playing field. Are you good with that? Okay, now that I just ruined all of our self-esteem. Our, our lives are but a small thing. Our lives really are but a small thing. If I were to die today, the world is gonna go on, just like it always has. God is still gonna be on the throne. He's still gonna be worshiped. My life is but a small thing, but he is everything. And there's a reason Because of the fact that my life is a small thing and it's a short thing and God lives forever and he is eternal, I'm going to get to go spend eternity with him when this physical life is over. And that's going to be far greater than anything that we have here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recognize that. In essence, this is what they said. Nebuchadnezzar, what do you have to offer? Because I know the one that has everything to offer. So he's the one that I'm going to worship and follow. So how'd they do it? Well, I'd like to have you look with me, if you would, at the last three verses of this passage. Starting in verse 16, we get the first uh, response as to how they stood strong and how we can also do the same. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They recognized that they answered to God alone. They remembered, and i praying that we do as well, that the only one that we will ever answer to when we breathe our last breath is God Almighty. We will stand before Jesus and we will get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and that's all that matters. Could you imagine if all you did was live the rest of your life for the glory of God? Your marriage would be different. Your parenting would be different. The way we treat each other would be different. We wouldn't get nearly as bothered when people hurt us, and don't get me wrong, I get it. We're human beings. I've been hurt lots of times. It's a, it's a blast to get to be a shepherd of a church. But did you know sometimes the sheep bite? And you just love people. You know why? Because ultimately at the end of the day, as long as we've glorified and honored the Lord, we can rest well knowing that we've honored and glorified the Lord, that we have actually lived out our intended purpose Look at verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. They affirmed their faith in God alone. They weren't looking to Nebuchadnezzar for their security, they weren't looking to Nebuchadnezzar for their hope, they affirmed their faith in God alone. They knew who it was that could rescue them. Now listen to what they said, he will deliver us. Out of your hand, O king. If you just stopped at that verse, you might think, well, they knew they were going to get rescued. But don't forget, there's another statement after that that tells us they had no idea whether or not they were going to be delivered. So what were they saying in verse 17? One way or another, we're going to be delivered. It might be physically, it might not. Y'all remember the Apostle Paul? He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, he went on three different missionary journeys. On his different missionary journeys, he wrote different books. He goes on his first missionary journey. He writes writes the book of Galatians, all about our freedom in Christ. Then he goes on his second missionary journey and he writes his next two books, first and second Thessalonians, and he clears up that, hey, if you thought Christ has already come, well, he hasn't come yet. And then he goes on his third missionary journey and he writes three more books. He writes Romans and then he writes first and second Corinthians. And then he gets arrested and he just keeps writing more books. He writes Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Titus and Philemon. And then he gets arrested again and this time as he's awaiting death, he writes 1 Timothy, then he writes Titus, then he writes his very last book of 2 Timothy and then he gets beheaded. And that's the end of the Apostle Paul's life. But here's what's interesting, when he's writing all of those books and when things are written about him by Dr. Luke in the book of Acts, how many different times does Paul say, I'm grateful to still be here? But for me to live as Christ and to die as... guy sounded like he needed Prozac. What's wrong with you? Why would you say dying is gain? Well, I'm just guessing. After being bit by a poisonous snake and left for dead, after being stoned almost to death and then drugged to the middle of nowhere and left for dead, after being in a boat that gets shipwrecked, he's bleeding all over the place in shark-infested waters, after being beaten and flogged numerous times by both Jews and Gentiles, he's probably thinking... Lord, if you want to take me, now would be a great time. But instead, the Lord keeps him around. And some of y'all may be thinking the same thing. Man, life has just been horrid. Lord, just take me. But he's saying, I'm keeping you here for a reason. I have your days numbered for a reason. When he is ready to take us, he will take us. But prior to that, keep remembering that you only answer to God alone. Keep affirming your faith in God alone. And look at verse 18. This is our third and final point. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if God doesn't rescue us, we're still not bowing down. I'm still going to let you just go ahead and throw me in the furnace. Because again, remember, the problem we have with reading this passage is we know how the story ends. They had no idea. They didn't get any advance notice that they were going to be rescued. There was no angel whispering in their ear, don't worry, God's going to deliver you. They didn't know any of that. They just had to take on faith that God was going to deliver them one way or another. So, if I could make the point pretty plainly, they didn't know what was going to happen and they didn't care. What they cared about was bringing honor and glory to the Lord. Man, I want to be at that spot where what other people say, and again, we're not going to be jerks, we're going to love people with the gospel of Jesus, and when you do, people are going to hate you for it, but if people hate us for it, and they want to take us out, and God decides that he's not going to rescue us physically, are we ready to say, Lord, it's okay, take me home, because I will not bow to anyone other than Jesus' Who, as we study in the book of Revelation, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no other king. There is no other Lord. There is no other God. Therefore, let's just continue to bring him honor and glory. Have I ever reminded you that life is short? If not, life is short. James says what? Life is like a vapor, or the direct translation is a puff of smoke. When they were sitting around a campfire, this is where the lesson would have come from, but a little puff of smoke comes up and all of a sudden the puff is gone. Here's the question. What do you do with your puff? Or I love it. There was a song that someone wrote called The Line Between the Two. You all might remember it, but the gist behind the, the song, The Line Between the Two, was that on your headstone, you get the date that you were born, you get the date that you died, and what do you get in between? A dash. What will you do with your dash. Well, here's the really neat thing about that. If you're in mathematics and you've got a point that just goes on forever, take that dash and just have it go on forever. For us, it's forever in heaven with the Lord. That's where we're going to be and we're going to get to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In conclusion, I'm praying that we are people that trust and obey God, even when the outcome doesn't seem so hot for us. Pun intended, that was a joke. That's a dad joke right there. Get it? Fiery furnace, nuts, never mind. If I have to tell you to laugh, it's just not even funny anymore. I, I tried. This only happens though, we only are able to say, I'm gonna trust and obey God no matter what the outcome is when we are absolutely convicted and absolutely convinced of who God is and what he's capable of. Again, I wanna finish this morning with asking you, how convinced are you that this is the word of God? If you have any doubts, please put it to the test. How convinced are you that there is one creator of the universe who spoke it all into existence, who is outside of time, space, and matter, who answers how we came into existence, who answers why we have a conscience, who answers why we have an idea of what is right and wrong, and why we have this view and this thought of justice and love and mercy and truth? Where does all that come from? That's not from some cosmological accident, it's not from some impersonal force, it's from a God that loves and knows and has has a mind will and emotion it's a God who desires to be worshiped and that's what he created us for and so here's the question today will you bring God the honor and glory that is due him by worshiping him with everything that you've got I am praying that as a church body we could definitely say amen to that amen let me pray for us father we come before you and we just praise you for who you are you are the king of kings you're the lord of lords you're the creator of the universe Lord, you created us with the purpose of honoring you, glorifying you, and worshiping you. And so it is my prayer for myself, for my family, for my church family, for each of us sitting in this room, for those that are listening online, for those that are worshiping you now in other places, that we would make our sole desire to treasure Jesus above all else, that we would bring him honor and glory by getting to know you more and making you known everywhere we go. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. Gang, it looks a little different this morning because we're going to do some baptisms, so we're going to give those that are getting baptized a chance to get ready, and uh, we're going to sing one final song together, and then we're going to celebrate together. I'm going to ask you that as you watch um, our folks get baptized, keep in mind that baptism, especially back in first century Palestine, was a declaration of allegiance, saying that I am pledging my allegiance and my life to Jesus which means that war was just declared on people like the Roman Empire and those around watching this because they knew who that person was pledging their allegiance to and they did not take that lightly. I bring that up because we do have a real enemy. The demonic world is real and those that step out in faith and get baptized, those that dedicate their lives to Christ, those that have sold themselves out to serving Jesus and sharing the gospel, you'll come under great attack. May we, as the Apostle Paul say, I count it a blessing to suffer for the cause of Christ. But nonetheless, suffering is hard, which is why we need each other. So I'm gonna ask you, be praying for those that get baptized this morning. We had one at the first service as well. I would ask you to be praying for our sister Debbie that got baptized as well. So with that said, we are going to sing one final worship song together, and then we're gonna have our folks hopping in the baptismal pool, and we'll celebrate baptism together. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.